there are people who are beautifully loving who aren't in pain after someone that they care about deeply passes. And I know there are people who had relationships where the predominant emotions were contempt and disgust and hatred who grieve terribly for long periods of time. Um, I'm only suggesting there is absolutely no correlation between the amount of someone's pain and the amount that they did or do love. Hello, my love, and welcome to the Boldly Courageous podcast. My name is Melissa Martin. I am a business and embodiment coach and creator of the Boldly Courageous community. Just like you, I've walked through some dark seasons in life, and I know what it's like to start over again and write a new story. This podcast is here to activate you, to show you what's possible when you embody your power and walk with courage and fear in the pursuit of what sets your soul on fire. Each week, you will hear authentic conversations with thought leaders and visionaries as we dive deep into topics such as spirituality, business, money, relationships, sexuality, and so much more so that you can fully embody your boldly courageous self. Are you ready? Let's drop in. Hey, real quick before we dive into the episode, I need to let you know about something really, really special to me. So if you're anything like me and you've had this calling on your heart to start a podcast, but you have no idea where to start, I want to introduce you to the incredible team that I have worked with literally from day one of launching Boldly Courageous over at Podcast Co. They have just released a self-paced course called Launch Your Fucking Podcast. This program will literally take you through step-by-step step of launching your podcast from start to finish. You will learn everything about how to create and find the foundation and mission of your podcast, how to come up with the perfect name, get super clear on your audience and the structure of your show. Also, you will learn how to record, how to produce, how to edit, and also hosting, music, creating the perfect cover and building a successful launch strategy. Basically, by the end of the program, you will have launched a podcast that feels authentic and expansive to you, labeling you as the expert that is ready to impact and grow your audience in whatever phase of life they may be at. So all you have to do is go to the link in the show notes, use code boldly courageous at checkout, and you will get a hundred dollars off the launch your fucking podcast course. So now let's jump into the episode. Welcome back to the Boldly Courageous podcast. As always, I am so grateful that you are here with me today. And this is part two of my interview with Dr. John Connolly. He is the founder of Rapid Resolution Therapy. And in this conversation, we go much more deep into the topic of grief. And his new book, which is out, which is called Grief is Not Sacred, talks about how we do not have to be sad, be in grief in order to love someone and in order to honor their memory. And we talk a lot about how to navigate the experience of grief. 
we talk about how to support someone if they are experiencing grief and you are on the other side of that and different resources available for you if you are someone who is currently experiencing or suffering from grief. And if you haven't yet, please go back and listen to part one. John provides so many incredible and valuable resources that I think that you will love. John Connolly first founded the Institute for Survivors of Sexual Violence, a nonprofit 501c3 organization engaged in research and development of cutting edge treatment for survivors of trauma. His early career experience as a child protective services worker and clinical supervisor in a program for traumatized teens helped shape the creation of rapid resolution therapy. RRT offers innovative training programs designed for people looking to relieve suffering. Doctors, dentists, mental health professionals, teachers, coaches, nutritionists, lawyers, caregivers, nurses, business owners, and others have become rapid resolution therapy members with the intention to learn and apply the fundamentals of RRT to themselves and their field. John Connolly is a licensed clinical social worker and holds a doctorate in clinical pastoral counseling. He is also the author of Life-Changing Conversations with Rapid Resolution Therapy, which demonstrates the power of a single session to resolve ongoing trauma and turmoil and dramatically improve well-being. He is also the author of Grief is Not Sacred, which is his newest book, and both are available for purchase on Amazon. Without any further ado, let's dive into my second conversation with Dr. John Connolly. I feel like we need a whole another podcast episode just to go into that. We could go a whole other hour just on bad boys because it it seems like most women in the world are telling us that their boyfriend's psychiatrist has shared his diagnosis. Everybody's going with, oh, I have a, my boyfriend is an advanced narcissist with psychopathic tendencies moving in toward. So it's a way for women to bond, I suppose. Um, but I think that it's it's probably not um, the best thing to be thinking of the person you're with psychiatrically with these advanced diagnoses particularly if you're not a psychiatrist. Well, and I think we do this to ourselves, right? This kind of segues into a conversation around identities, identity statements, which I know is is part of the work that you do with RRT. And I've I've done a lot of this with Andrea is like saying, I have an anxious or I have an anxious attachment style or I'm lazy or I'm not worthy or Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And you I said two am- things Two things really interesting. You said, I am a this and I have a that. Mm-hmm. And that's what you learn when you go in interface with the screwed up mental health industry. Because you know what? Yeah. They're going to tell you that. Yes. Well, my friend, you are a borderline and you have uh, this or you are obsessive. This is you. You are obsessive. Hey, good to meet you. I'm Melissa. Oh, I'm obsessive. Nice to meet you too. I am this and I have that. And then we spend the the, the next few years learning how to be in this safe place to learn to cope with what you are. None of those things are who you are. You are not obsessive. You're not a this or a that. Your mind isn't a thing. It's in motion. It's doing stuff and it's up to me 
to do stuff to it in motion so that it moves into more of a flowing motion that is then more beneficial for you and the whole world that you're going to connect with. That's probably the most useful thing I can figure out to say today. <laughs> you said a lot of very useful things today. Uh, um, I I know Andrea and I were, we were walking in the park one day. Uh, she was here visiting me in Atlanta. And um, for those that don't know, Andrea Crowder is a, is a close friend of mine and she's been a client of yours uh, both in the train on the training side and learning RRT and also receiving RRT. I and like that she calls herself and everything about it unruly. Yes. You can see why she and I would, 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 would like each other. She declared that she was going to make you her best friend. And I think that's happening. And I love, it's been so fun. We're, to watch her. She's just lovely. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we were sitting down on a park bench and and we were talking and I I said to her, I I have an anxious attachment style because we were talking about dating and she corrected me and she said, you have been experiencing an anxious attachment, but you are not that. And it really, it really brought presence for me on how important um, language is and the identity of the thing, right? And, and on both sides, I think on one side, we, we carry these identities as who we are. And, you know, in some ways it can be supportive and in some ways and not, not so supportive, but then it happens on the other end of the spectrum where someone else says, Oh, you're that. And I've had those experiences where someone's been like, Oh, you're this. And I'm like, I am because it's not an identity that I've ever seen for myself. And sometimes it can feel really good when someone says, oh, you are courageous. And maybe I view myself as a coward. So if someone else says to me, oh, you, you're courageous, it, I might reject it. Or on the flip side, someone might say, you're a liar. And I know that I'm an integrous person. And I'm like, I am? Like, you think I'm a liar? Um, so I think it's interesting when we start bringing awareness to those identity statements and how they, the way in which we operate in the world is so attached to that. But be careful because if you're feeling troubled and you call out for help, you're likely to run into somebody who, if that hasn't already emerged within you, will plant it there. Mm -hmm. And if you're interfacing with the mental health industry, it's good to know that one, they get paid for doing that. Mm -hmm. And the more disturbing the identity, the more money they make. It's like the pharmaceutical industry. The sicker you are, the more money they make. It's a similar kind of thing. I don't know. I'd have to think about that one a while. But I know that if you're... I know that in the mental health industry, which like other industries is economically driven, that it will be more lucrative to me if I see you as sicker. Mm, right, because and you're saying- sicker it is, the more money I get. Isn't that something? It is something. And, and, it's, and it's, it's not like a cold sickness. It's 
it's fundamentally integrated into your essence. Mm -hmm. This is what you are. Mm -hmm. um, and so this guy comes in, he's, he, he, he's Asian, okay? He's Asian, he's angry. Um, uh, he's six feet tall, he's snapping his finger. Could he stop being angry? Yeah. Could he stop snapping his fingers? Yeah. Can he stop being six feet tall? Can he stop being Asian? So those are things he is, and this is stuff he's doing. Mm -hmm. You can stop doing what you're doing. So you're nodding as I'm talking to you. I could say, stop nodding. You could decide to stop. But what if I say, and stop this female thing too? <laughs> yeah. So when it's actually who you are, you can't do anything but adapt to it. How tall are you? Five foot four inches. Well, cut it out. Oh, if you cut me off at the knees, but. <laughs> so, but yeah. So I don't see it as useful to tell people that they are what's been troubling them. Mm. But it's economically useful for that industry. And there's a, been a migration of, uh, of clients from mental health providers to coaches. Well, coaches aren't doing that. They're not saying you are a 306.12. Um, and so there's at least there more flexibility in terms of, well, we'll just do this. Doing that hasn't been working for you. How about doing this? Well, I don't know whether I can. Well, what about this? Oh, yeah, I can do that. It goes like that um, r rather than this is what you are and we need to find out the basis of it and then learn more about how to adapt to it. So anyway, I'm well, rattling like on with stuff, but you're you're so good at getting me to think and speak. So I like the analogy that you gave with the sand because what I'm hearing you say is that through RRT, you, you get to that baseline, whatever that baseline layer was and you work at that level and it's almost like a domino effect like that one thing was connected to that one thing which was connected to that one thing and so if we can get to the red sand yeah what we do is create and, and this would take a, a, a deeper dive than you have time for for me to go thoroughly into but this process looks to cause shift to happen from outside in and inside out simultaneously. And the practitioner takes responsibility for causing it. That is such a perfect summary. Thank you. Yeah, really well said. And to further clarify that, I'm 
I'm going to make an assumption and help me if I'm, I'm, if I'm off base outside in is conscious mind and inside out is subconscious. Yeah. If it's, if, if that's what I meant by it. And, yeah. and it's an imperfect metaphor as, as, uh, as we can see just from your question, but yeah. So everything most of what I'm doing as I'm talking to you and 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 your wonderful listeners is an outside in process although we learn to communicate in ways that causes that to leak in more thoroughly and quickly but we also have all kinds of processes that go from inside out so that the shift that people would benefit from seems to be taking place surprisingly and um and 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 automatically the way i envision this is the is almost like the conscious mind is the gatekeeper and as long as the gatekeeper is around, kind of like guarding the palace, um, subconscious can run amok and do whatever it wants. And really like subconscious is where most of our lived experience is operating from. And so- Yeah, I, th I think you're, you're, that, that emotions, I don't consciously decide to be happy to meet you. Uh, it just comes yeah. from inside out. And even thoughts, well, the thoughts that are interesting are the ones that come to mind, where the hell they're coming from, right. inside out. But we can approach it by, or what I mean is, much of what I'm saying to you is, I, I think, somewhat logical. So there it's working, approaching conscious mind, which has access to logic, my unconscious doesn't have access to logic. Last night's dream sure as hell weren't logical. <laughs> I have the weirdest dreams. And I wake up sometimes laughing, being like, like, I remember them. They're very vivid. And I, I laugh. And sometimes I don't laugh. But most of the times I'm laughing, being like, what is going on in my brain? This is very interesting. <laughs> it's, it's it's cool that you can have that... Um recollection yeah, and it's it is it is interesting to this is such a perfect um example of how powerful our minds are that i can wake up from a dream and be crying like having like crying in my sleep because i'm my brain is having some sort of party that doesn't feel so pleasant and i can wake up in the morning feeling the feelings of whatever was happening in my dream, even though it didn't happen in like the real world, right? In my like, in my oh, I, I I get it. I mean, I I remember going up to my friend and saying, "Don't even talk to me." And she says, "Did I do something? Did you do something? Yes, you did something." <laughs> when was this? Well, in my dream last night. Well, you're not really blaming me for that, are you? Well, don't think you're getting out of it just because of that. 
Yeah. I, like, I can remember. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty crazy, right? But I can remember being pissed at you because of what you did yeah. that you didn't even do. Yes, I had that experience when I was married. I would have my husband would do something. My ex-husband would do something in a dream and I would wake up and I, it would take me a while to like not be upset about it, even though consciously <laughs> I knew that it wasn't real on a subconscious level. My body and my emotional ex experience was very much. It was very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Yeah. Our minds are just so fascinating and so many different um uh, uh interesting things to look into i um i'm i'm feeling to 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 mention that i wrote a couple of books that people might be interested in and would that be okay i would love for you to share your work yes um so these are available on um uh, Amazon, uh, if, if people are interested, what, one is called Life-Changing Conversations. And what um, what I'm suggesting in that book is somebody's life can be dramatically altered for the better in one meeting, having a conversation. And to show the possibility of doing that, what I've done is is the the conversations that changed people's lives are um, verbatim and then commented on to understand the the first um, uh, story in that book is is a young lady I met with who is having um, oh, maybe five uh, very violent seizures every day. She had to wear a um a helmet to not crack her head open and when she walked it was with a three-pronged cane and she's 20 and beautiful gal but that's pretty limiting stuff um and uh, it, it was a beautiful meeting and she never again had another seizure and then she went and did a ted talk um and has a million and a half um, viewers there. Um, uh, so that book is Life-Changing Conversations. The, the, the second book that's been recently released is called Grief is Not Sacred. Um, and that's, a, I guess, a controversial um, uh, title. Um, but um, it, it's approached in the same way um, where, where um you you get to read like word for word how things were reprocessed so that people who had been experiencing what you would call pathological grief um grief that you know hasn't stopped for years and is filled with with with, with rage or guilt or things like that can dissolve and 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 we can be free from it i i um noticed that there was a lot of literature out there on grief and that the the theme that seemed to repeat is um that it's really okay to not be okay if you're grieving and um melissa it's not okay with me for you to be not okay um 
and um, it's not okay with me for people to not be okay, even if um, they're um, being affected by uh, suicide of a loved one or a murder or a death of a child or all those things that we tell people, well, you'll never get over the pain. Um, you know what? It's absolutely okay to get over the pain. Grief is not a memorial. Your grief is not love. The person you're grieving doesn't like your misery. And um, people can get better. And that's a highly controversial thing I'm 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 afraid to say, but I I think I think somebody better say it because too many people are suffering. I've heard it said that uh, suffering is a choice. Yeah, you can be experiencing pain, but choosing to stay in that pain and suffer is is a choice. Well, if I was suffering and you told me I'd chosen it. I think it would enhance the suffering. <laughs> Probably. I, I don't think I would say, oh, really? Cool. Now I'm going to choose ecstasy. Yeah. I just think I'd say, oh, geez. So one is I'm miserable. I don't know how to get my way out of it. And this bitch says it's my own fault. <laughs> so that's how I'd respond to that. And that's how I think a whole lot of people would feel as a result of being said that said to. So I, I would disagree that suffering is a choice. And it's the kind of thing said by people who aren't suffering and are annoyed by people who are, many of whom live in the mental health world, the mental health industry. Grief has been such an interesting experience for me because my first real introduction that I have awareness of was when my sister passed away. She was 26 and I was just shy of my 21st birthday. And I was- What's her name? Jennifer. Uh-huh. And we had grief counselors through hospice to kind of help us with the grief. And it was then that I was introduced to those, the, the stages of grief or stages of death and dying. But it was mostly the way that it was um, presented was grief through the experience of someone dying. And I learned through that, that it wasn't linear, you know, you wouldn't necessarily go through all the stages in order. One day you might feel one way and another day you might feel another. And, and the, what I received from that was normalizing the, the variety of feelings. Like one day I could feel completely apathetic. The next I could feel really sad. Then I could feel angry. Then I would be confused or, and, and it would be, and it was okay to have this like, wide range of emotions. And then I remember having this um, experience of my, I was in multi-level marketing, uh, like network marketing, direct selling. And the company that I was a part of restructured their business model. And what that meant for me was that within the next 60 days, the way that I earned income was changing and basically going away. Like I was losing my entire business within 60 days. And so that news was so shocking and so unexpected. It actually felt very similar to the experience that I had when my sister passed, not in the sense that I didn't know she was going to die, 
but the the feeling of grief the all like i was able to like witness myself going through all of the experiences of bargaining and anger and sadness and acceptance and like i it was it was wild to kind of see the parallels between that and realize that grief isn't just solely attached to someone dying, but that it can be attached to almost like an expectation, not like an, uh, an expectation, not being fulfilled. So can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on grief and, and kind of how that shows up? So you mentioned the, um, this, the stages of grief the, the way that all started with um, Dr. Kubler-Ross became aware that people in hospitals who were dying were pretty much ignored. The staff would tend to spend less time in those rooms um, when family members were there they might be coming and visiting. However, they would do what's possible to avoid that issue being discussed. So, I mean, this lady is is um, uh, on her way to being no longer alive, and she knows it. And and the family sitting there saying, "Oh, and look at the wallpaper we picked out for the new bathroom." Like that's something interesting rather than, you know, I'm about to be dead. Um, and and so she um, went in to talk to people who were dying about how that was working out for them and got all kinds of um, negative attention for doing that because um, physicians were feeling that's just totally wrong to um to have that conversation about that like more and then as she had these conversations she began to find that that there were patterns she could understand the process that people would go through um when dying um um you know, not if they just got shot in the head, but if it's a dying that takes a period of time to go through. And then the same dates were later applied to something different from what she got interested in discovering, which was going on within the person who was facing their death. And now the same thing was applied, I don't think as artfully, to what people were experiencing in a grieving process. And yes, all of what, and what you were taught there, um, and I'm sure with the best of intention, was an, and was effective in causing you to not feel your pain was so weird. And you mentioned, you know, they normalized it for me. Well, that was the best they knew how to do. They didn't know how to do any better, so they did that. But I'll tell you, if somebody's experiencing pain, 
if if I'm experiencing pain, I don't want to find the physician who will help to normalize it for me. Yeah. And society seems to have stagnated with that the solution is normalize it and tell people it's all right that they feel crappy. Yeah, like it would be considered um, in poor taste or inconsiderate if- Or just denial, or, right? If, or all of if your partner just died and you're happy, not happy that they're dead, but like like you can but move, happy, on, right. move on quickly or experience happiness or experience joy, like it's considered taboo. I, be I believe, Melissa, that people who are training with me and the whole uh, process that I'm- um, teaching can do a whole lot more for people that are dealing with grief than tell them that it's normal. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you go to the doc because you have shooting pain through your shoulder, do you really want to hear, yes, I understand that's very normal? No. You'll probably have it for wanna, the rest of your life. So I'd rather destroy the suffering. I don't think that's I don't think that suffering is a important natural thing that people need to go through when people they love pass. So I had this question from someone on my social media, which, which goes along with exactly what you're saying, which is how do I, I want to know more about accepting the hurt instead of fighting not to feel it. And I think this kind of goes back to what you what we were talking about before. Like, oh, you have to. Feel I wouldn't it. be who to see for that. I don't have any desire to help people accept their suffering. So you don't have to accept it is what you're saying. I would have an interest in causing the suffering to end. Right. So it's not a I'm either going to accept it or I'm going to ignore it. I'm actually what you're saying is, no, let's consider a third option of actually end it. End it. And, yeah. I, and I love that because I think that kind of really does summarize a lot of what we were talking about is I think most people think in these in a, a two-track system. Either I live with it and I accept that it's here or I pretend it doesn't exist and I ignore it, but I can't really ignore it because it's still there and I'm it's still causing me pain. And every time I get I get like a glimpse of it and then I ignore it. I get a glimpse of it, I ignore it. So like, yeah, both like solutions suck. Yes, right. And you're saying- and what to pick that? Do you want me to shoot you in the knee or the <laughs> other knee? And this is, this is a lot of like what um, these mainstream modalities teach is like, oh, well, let's just accept that it's here and let's learn how to live with it and let's learn how to be friends with it and let's be friends with our fear and let's be friends with our depression and let's identify with it and and- so it's, yeah, you either accept that it's here and learn how to live with it, or you completely ignore it, which doesn't do you any good. And what you're offering is, why don't we actually clear it and be done with it? Yes, exactly. It said better than I could. And rather, yeah. Um, so there are all kinds of things you can read and people you can go to who will tell you it's okay and natural for you to suffer. And that it's a statement of your love. Mm. Like it's like I know there are people who are beautifully loving, who aren't in pain, 
after someone that they care about deeply passes. And I know there are people who had relationships where the predominant emotions were contempt and disgust and hatred who grieve terribly for long periods of time. Um, I'm only suggesting there is absolutely no correlation between the amount of someone's pain and the amount that they did or do love. And we, we have to get that clear first, because if I'm not in pain, it means I didn't really love her. That's the martyr. Then maybe I better stay in pain. Right, right. Let me show how... how yeah, uh, it, it doesn't have to be. It's terrible. I mean, people suffer terribly. Um, they don't have to. Right. I have another question that was kind of on the other side of it. So how do, you, how do you support someone else who is in grief, right? Because you can't tell them, well, you can either feel it or not feel it or actually clear it if you're not a RRT person and you don't have the tools. So what if you're an innocent standbyer and you love this person and you can see that they're in grief or you can see that they're in pain? Like, what are the, what can you do as a support person on that, that side? Listen, be kind, and don't try to change their perspective. The, the things that I hear from people who were grieving is that it was really annoying for them to hear people's advice that was designed to cheer them up. You know? I mean, you can buy another dog. You can have another baby. Um, or, or all kinds of... It can always be worse. A man, that, a man I met that... Um, really suffered with this his his daughter who was i think nine or ten was run over by somebody who was um a teen who was all drugged up um and and she was killed and and he he was very religious and he went to that community for support and they said well you know, you can't understand things from where God is, and God um, uh, took her because he wanted her. And this guy said, oh, yeah? Well, then, fuck him. And this whole community that was sustaining him all of a sudden was no longer a community because they didn't want somebody in there who was saying bad things about God um and 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 so there was just um this well i i'm realizing i i went far away from what do you say to somebody to comfort them um that that i'm saying that didn't work and a whole lot of the things that would occur to us to say to comfort people don't work we have a process that does work and has worked over and over again. But you, 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 if you're a friend or a family member of somebody who's hurting in that way, what can you do? You can be somebody who listens with an interest in understanding 
because that provides connection and connection in and of itself can begin to clear away pain. Mm -hmm. So you're better off just listening, nodding, asking for more, showing that 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 person is being understood than you are coming up with a slogan that's designed to ease other people's suffering. You went through suffering with your sister. I bet you could you you could tell me fifteen slogans that were shared with you that weren't any great joy to hear. Meant well, absolutely. But you could put a little book out, Melissa, on stupid things to say to people when someone they love dies. Yeah. That, that could be the title of your next book. Well, people are good enough at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are a lot of people that, that listen to this, this podcast that are coaches, they run businesses, they're mothers, they're partners, and I know would greatly benefit from either uh, participating in some of the resources that you offer for those that are seeking happiness and joy, and then also would benefit from the trainings that you do from a practitioner standpoint. So I would love if you would share some of the different ways in which you support people and how they can connect with you and learn more about those ways that you support. Thank you so much for the opportunity to do that, Melissa. The waiting pool the place that somebody could perhaps stick their toe in and get just a taste of it. Um, every Monday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern time, I do a program called Solutions. Uh, and you go to our website, which is rapidresolutiontherapy.com to register for that. And that's a Zoom meeting. And there are people from all over the world and it's free and you can come as much as you want. And what you'll see is, is what happens with just a shallow touch. Because I don't, I mean, last Monday, I think there were 12 people that I talked with. Um, and so in a two, two and a half hour meeting that nobody's getting a whole lot of time, but we are hearing from people uh, people are raising their hands and uh, and saying, well, you know, I wanted to let you know when you and I talked two weeks ago, all of these things have happened that have been beneficial since. So thank you. That's just wonderful. There are people who I've trained to a, a very high level. They're just lovely and they're very skilled. And um, uh, we call them specialists. Um after they've gone through many, many, many uh, trainings and been tested. Um, and those folks are available to sit one-on-one -on -one and make significant differences happen frequently, very quickly. I still see people, um, uh, some people privately. We have um, lots of classes and courses for people who are in our membership. And the classes are attended by people. My goal for everything I'm doing is, if you're taking a, a, a course with me, 
is one to get it to be that your own mind is working in a much better way for you and two to get it to be that you begin to know what to say and do for others that are suffering um that might just be what do you say to your daughter when she didn't get into the cheerleading team or something we might consider more devastating and then there are a whole group of people who are studying this more and more and more because they're looking to not only assist people but have it be um, their career so they can have the satisfaction of making a difference and being very well compensated for doing that. So they're all different levels to get involved. Our, um, our phone number is 800-587-2623. And um, that would be 805 trance, but don't make anything out of that other than that they didn't have four trance. So 800-587-2623, or it's rapidresolutiontherapy.com. There are a number of other programs that have very similar sounding names. So had I known that, we might have used different words, but so it's, it's, it's that exactly. It's not something like that. It's rapid resolution therapy, um, dot com will take you to our website where there are all kinds of things to do. There are free resources. We have a recording, um, on, um, that, that, you just put on and listen to, and it's designed to promote um, mind-body healing and increase immune response. There are um, things you can watch where you hear this process described and hear from people that have been through it. Um, and we'd love to talk to you and tell you what might be of, of benefit to you. We want to have lots of different choices and opportunities thank you for for giving me a chance to to mention that absolutely and thank you for pioneering such an incredible modality for people to stop suffering <laughs> and actually well, experience pleasure and and joy um so we'll link all that in the show notes and i'm just curious like when you think back to graduating college, you have a history degree and you think forward to your life, you know, what do you think about the impact that you've made and the lives that you've changed and all these testimonials? Like what, what, what would that version of you think about this version of you today? Oh, he was pretty fucked up. I don't know what he'd think. He'd think you were bullshitting um, that's never going to happen. But I can tell you what this version of me thinks. And what I think is, I am really lucky. I mean, I wake up just feeling like, I mean, doing this with you, it's like, wow. I mean, how amazing this is. It would be amazing if we had a conversation a tenth this good at a Starbucks that nobody would ever hear or want to hear. And that I get to talk to you 
and other people listen and maybe get better as a result of some of what you say and what I say together. It's like, how do you get better than that? You know, this is the best ever. And I don't feel like, well, it's my right or I've earned it or I deserve it. Um, or well, I put in a lot of work, or 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 that I merit it. I just feel freaking way lucky. Mm. Well, that's a perfect segue into my last question, which is, what are you celebrating right now? What's going on right now? So I've 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 gotten without any really effort to do it, but I'm 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 pretty now. Um. With, without without really trying to be. And so here I am having a conversation with a beautiful person who's kind and interested and interesting. This is what to celebrate. That's so beautiful because it's really, this is all that's real, is this moment right here. Like, oh, I know. This is, this is it, right? John, thank you so much for your wisdom, for the work that you're doing, um, for the lives that you're changing, for your presence here with me, your sense of humor and your playfulness. And um, I'm so excited to dive deeper into this work. It's definitely something that I'm personally curious about. And I know that our listeners are going to love this as well. So if you guys are listening, you love the episode, please share it um, with someone that you know would benefit from it. Give, um, Go, head over to rapidresolutiontherapy.com. The Monday night sessions are amazing. I've done a few of them myself and I did the Leave the Bad Boys Alone program. So I've had the opportunity to work with with you, John, in a couple of different- Leave bad boys for good. Leave bad boys for good, period. Andrea's title, Leaving yeah, well, a Bad Boy for Good. I mean, wow. Yes. Um, and it was really, this really has been fun. delicious and I am absolutely- would be super excited to have another meeting with you at any time. Um, uh, there's there's a ton of things we could talk about we never touched on. I know. I feel like we could talk for hours. Um, so we'll split this episode up um, for our listeners into two different segments. And then we'll have to have you back to talk about relationships because everyone always wants to know about that. So we'll love to do it. That. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And as I mentioned, if you love this episode, please share it. Uh, follow along with what John's doing. Jump into one of his free sessions on Mondays. And until the next episode, live your boldly courageous life. Thank you so much for living your boldly courageous life with me today. I am beyond grateful for you and this amazing community we are building together. It's truly my mission to get this message out into the world and empower others to step fully into the life they've always dreamed of. I would be so incredibly grateful if you would join me in this mission by sharing this episode with your friends and heading over to iTunes to leave me a five-star review. And until the next episode, remember to live your boldly courageous life. Bye.